Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. I would say that at the end of the day, therapy or counseling or even even medication management is Mm -hmm. a form of Mm self-care and acknowledging and truly believing that you're worth that investment is healing in and of itself. Hey guys, welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger Divorce Survival and Recovery Show. Today we are going to talk about seeking therapy during your divorce. Should you, shouldn't you, for you, for your kids, what looks good to the judge and what may not fare well in your favor, how to handle this delicate issue with confidence. And there's, of course, a lot to this topic. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by Missouri family law attorney, Erin Fox. Erin and I first met in 2019 and she quickly spoke of how in her practice, she has come to see this as an area of concern that many people are meeting with trepidations. So we decided to explore it today. Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Annie. Um, Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, I've been practicing law since 2012, and I've been practicing family law since 2017. I'm happy to be here to talk about an issue I feel pretty passionately about. Well, very good. I'm glad that you do. And I appreciate you being here to explore this. Therapy is often a very critical part of our healing. I know it was for me both before, during and after divorce. And I hate that there are still people who feel stigmatized or even too prideful to seek it out. But I especially dislike that there are people who know they or their kids would benefit from therapy, and yet they feel too fearful of the effect that it can have on their divorce outcome. But before we dive in here, I do like to ask my guests to start by telling their own story of divorce if they have one as long or as short as you wish just to give the listeners a glimpse of how you might relate to where they are right now on a personal level and I don't remember if we talked about this so I don't know if you've been divorced and if not that's great Um, maybe then talk about how a divorce another divorce has affected your life a parent or a friend anyway whatever it is that maybe led you to become a divorce attorney sure Um, well I had a very picture picturesque childhood. Um, I am happily married. I've never been divorced. Um, very good. I think that this issue affected my family. I think that my family was one where the stigma was definitely present, not only around seeking mental health treatment, but also getting divorced. I mean, I remember learning at a pretty late age that one of my uncles had been divorced and it was like, how did I not know this? Why didn't anyone talk about it? And it was stigma. So um, additionally, as I was practicing law, before I started practicing family law, my clients' divorces would be impacting every other facet of their life, including the case I was helping them on. And their divorces would draw, draw out for so long. And I'm like, does it have to be this painful? And, you know, so I think that's part of what led me to a family law practice. Okay. Well, that's good. I appreciate you sharing that side of yourself with us. I know it means a lot to me and our listeners. And I just want to start off by asking what it is about this topic that's heavy on your heart and mind. And you've kind of alluded to that already. And I know that when we first spoke about the possibility of you coming on the show, this was your topic of choice. So I know there has to be reasons for that. Would you sum up for us why you feel this is important for us to talk about? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Part of my bias is probably that my undergrad is psychology. So this was always kind of something 
um, educationally and academically that I've been interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I, as I began practicing family law, my clients, I, you know, I encourage a, most of my clients to seek counseling just because this is a stupid, stressful thing to go through. Mm-hmm. And their response nine times out of 10 would be, well, will the judge think I'm crazy if they find out I'm in counseling? Yeah. And so that just really bothered me. Um, so I'm kind of here to get on my soapbox and say, you know, the risk of a judge judging solely the, the fact that you're seeking counseling would be way outweighed by your behavior that comes as a, a failure to seek counseling. So yeah, that is, that is, that's my take home today. If you don't remember anything else I say. Okay. Well, that's good. And you know, when we, when we started uh, talking today, one of the things that I posed was the question of should you or shouldn't you get therapy during your divorce? And you've kind of answered that. I mean, the reality is that if you need it, you need it. And there are going to be consequences one way or the other. So it's, it's certainly best to have those consequences be as a result of your intentional efforts to make things better for you or your kids and that I don't think will go you know outside of the judge's awareness I think that's you know in most cases going to be a good thing for you right absolutely and in a divorce especially if it's going to last a year or something you know when uh, when you suffer a death in your family and you seek counseling to deal with that no one really says much when I mean but even work stress just being a mom when you're not going through a divorce can be a lot Um, So when you're going through a year, two year, three year divorce, I mean, why is that any different? And what, you know, so I don't think a judge, good judges would not bat an eye at someone just seeking counseling to take care of yourself. Yeah. Now, what is the, um, the ruling, the law on information that's being discussed in your therapy ever becoming a part of your divorce case? How does that work? That is a very good question. So the, when a judge is making, I mean, when there's no kids involved, it's, it's not really relevant unless it's affecting your behavior with money in your case somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the judge is making a custody determination or a determination about parenting time, they're going to look at the factors they have to consider in 452.375, which is the statute. One of the factors the court has to consider is the mental and physical health of all parties involved. So a client's very fair question is, well, doesn't that open the door to all my records being disclosed in the divorce? Um, And the answer is probably not. Um, the only time that would really be, I mean, these, the fact that you have a diagnosis might be discoverable, but those notes with your counselor, your psychiatrist or psychologist are not relevant. They might get disclosed to a guardian ad litem. A guardian ad litem is an attorney appointed to represent the best interest of a child or children in a divorce or custody proceeding. Um, and if they feel, and a guardian ad litem is only appointed when there's allegations of, of already occurring abuse and neglect. Okay. So there's already an issue if, if we're at this point. Um, and not in every case will a guardian ad litem pursue this, but sometimes the guardian ad litem could ask a judge 
to give a court order for your counselor to disclose your notes. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean the judge will see them. It means the guardian ad litem is doing their investigation. So it is something to be cognizant of. Yeah. Um, but nine times out of 10, my opinion is that the benefits of the counseling itself will, the dividends of that will be seen in your behavior and yeah. outweigh any risk of this. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's just one of the thoughts that might be behind the kind of questions of should I or shouldn't I? Right. Uh, can you think of any others that, you know, what are some of the reasons why people are hesitant to get into therapy? Well, because they, because digging into your stuff takes a lot of work, first of all, <laughs> it's work, sure. you know, yeah. and I'm not saying that everyone should go to counseling. I'm not saying that you should do it just to say that you did to look good. I'm not yeah. saying, and especially in regard to child therapy, don't put your kids through something that doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Um, a lot of times what I see with, with regard to should I put my kid in, in counseling or therapy, it hinges on this. Does your kid really have a psychological, emotional, or behavioral problem? Or do you need some extra parenting tools? Because look, every, every upbringing is not going to be picture perfect mm -hmm. and your kid might need something different and maybe that's attainable through you and not counseling. Um, yeah, that's a great point. If you do decide to go counseling or psychologist, psychiatrist, you need to get your co-parent on board. Just going to throw that in there. That's important. So don't just go do it without their agreement. Correct. Nine okay. times out of 10. Okay. <laughs> Because I'm going to guess that that's going to backfire on you later. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, um, you know, the court is, we're talking about legal custody. We're talking about physical custody. And legal custody is the ability to, to make decisions for your children together despite being in divorced and in separate households. Mm -hmm. And if you demonstrate that you're unable to do that by, you know, acting like the other parent's not there, taking too much control of the situation, um, you know, kind of taking the reins without asking anybody, yeah. then you, you expose yourself to looking like you can't co-parent. That's an excellent point. I hadn't never thought of that, but it's, it's very wise to, to think of it that way and to know that that could be the outcome of that. Uh, and speaking of outcomes, another question I threw out was uh, how going to therapy or taking your children to, to, to therapy may in any way affect the outcome of your divorce. What thoughts can you share with us about how judges are likely to receive that? How they're likely to receive just the fact that they go. Yes. Um, I mean, really, it's it's so common now that the mere fact that they're going is not going to alarm a judge. They okay. might say they might, you know, they might be curious and you might need to present evidence of what prompted you to put them in counseling. Is it working? How's it going? How are they doing? And and that's it. Um, ultimately, in a custody or parenting time issue the 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 question is what's in the best interest of the children mm -hmm. and keeping them out of counseling so that you think you look good is not in the best interest of the children and the judges are going to see that yeah. um, sometimes a kid desperately needs counseling mm -hmm. and the one party is on board and one is not and so then motions have to be filed and when you're on the other side of that motion and it's clear a kid needs counseling that doesn't bode well you know, yeah, um, true. so yeah. just the fact that a kid is in counseling is not 
is not relevant. There, you know, there needs to be evidence of, you know, how are they doing? Are the parents acting in their best interest? And, you know, you're kind of separating it out, and that's good, because it seems to me from just what we've talked about so far that it's a much bigger deal when the kids are in therapy than when you are. And in fact, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking about my own divorce. I don't think it ever even came up. I don't know that anybody even knew that I was, you know, and I think probably for the most part, that's probably how it's handled. You know, I mean, there's, unless there's a reason for them to know that I'm, that a woman is going to therapy, there would be no reason for you to ever say anything about that to your ex, to your, maybe even to your attorney, to a, you know, a judge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, when is that bell rung? Well, in my experience, the bell of, okay, let's look into your mental health is wrong. Not when someone says, you know, I'm in therapy, FYI. It's, it's when their behavior raises eyebrows, like maybe mm. this person should be in therapy, you know, <laughs> or, yeah, or right. be medicated, you know, I'm going to mm-hmm. raise it to the next level and say, it's not just counseling. You know, I have a counselor. Yeah. I'm on medication, which by the way, works mm-hmm. in my behavior is okay. So no one's going to ask. It's the opposite that is concerning to family law lawyers. (laughs) Very, very good point. Yeah. And, you know, I thought it might be good to offer some things to look for to help make that decision. When we're enduring divorce, many women especially are doing alone. And quite often, they're not just dealing with the demise of a marriage, but often sometimes even also toxic and dysfunctional dynamics internally or externally that are making coping very difficult. Divorce is hard anyway, even without that. And so sometimes that is the tipping point. And, you know, few, I think, are aware of the support and assistance that even just a divorce coach like myself can offer. You may not even have to go to the level of therapy. You may just need that support person, that thinking partner, that person that can help you process everything that's happening. And, you know, all the fears that you have about, what a soon-to-be ex could do with any information that, you know, you're seeing a therapist. And I thought it might be good if we just talk about some of the indicators that a woman may need some help of this kind, um, whether that's a coach or a therapist. Um, And actually, before you answer that, this is going to be the perfect place for me to elaborate a little bit on the difference between coaching and therapy. And I have received both, and I am a coach, so I can't say that I have given therapy, but I've been on both sides of this issue. And I like to think of it in terms of a road trip because life is like that, right? When you're on the road trip of life, there are going to be flat tires and construction zones and overheating engines. And sometimes you're going to need to consult a map. And as a CDC certified divorce coach, uh, when you find yourself on a detour during your divorce, my role in that road trip is that of the tour guide that when you consult that map, you have a lot of decisions to make and many women benefit from having that tour guide who's been on this road trip to help them decide where they want to go mapping out a route to get there. But you know, I'm not a therapist because I see a therapist as more of that like roadside assistance or the mechanic shop that we take the car in for repairs when we break down and even that routine maintenance to keep going with fuel efficiency Therapy is a path that I could have taken, I almost did, in fact, before I came to the awareness of the difference. And my passion really lies in action 
and in forward motion and forward thinking and concepts of, you know, what do I want my life to look like? Like, whereas therapy, I think is very important. It's been pivotal in my life. I have a therapist and I have had one for many years and probably always will. I may sometimes go months in between visits, but then there are times that I need to go weekly for a while to, to address an issue. And that's life as a recovering codependent overthinker, PTSD survivor. There's absolutely zero shame in that for me. And actually, I feel pity for those who feel that it's shameful or embarrassing, or who would use that choice against someone who's brave enough to do the work that it takes to heal their mind from the inevitable hurts of life. And that, I think, is the role of the therapist, to dive into the past, to understand and perhaps even diagnose and help us to discover how we got where we are. And then the coach comes along, sometimes simultaneously, to be that sounding board and thinking partner to get someone where they want to be during and after their divorce. But back to my question, what are some of the indications you have seen pretty regularly that a woman or her children may be better served getting into therapy during their divorce process? Sure. Um, Well, thank you for your openness and vulnerability. I think that That's important in removing the stigma around mental illness and seeking therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think your metaphor with the roadmap and um, maintenance on your car, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, I think the main difference between do you need a coach or do you need a therapist is how are you functioning? How are you doing basic functions? Um, So some of those indicators of maybe I need to see someone, are things like, are you doing cognitive distortions? Like if something kind of derails your day, do you go to, this always happens to me, this is the worst, or, or you know, um, are you magnifying the problem? This is the worst thing that could have happened today. It's probably really not. Um, you know, you have to listen to your own thoughts and how are you speaking to yourself? Are you putting yourself down? Are you treating yourself worse than you would treat other people? Um, Maybe you sent a rambling text to someone, most relevantly your ex, that, you know, after you've had a few hours to marinate, man, I wish I hadn't sent that. Um, Those are the things that I would look at. Um, And as far as children go, I mean, I am not a mental health expert by any stretch, but I'm trying to apply it to my own life. Like, if I felt like as a parent, I didn't have the tools um, and I looked for tools and researched it and still felt like I was getting dead ends and my kid is shutting down or there's other concerning behaviors, yeah. you know, I would, then that's when I would, I would talk to, about counseling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if your kids are school age, talk to their teachers. Are you, be, are you guys observing this behavior? talk to their school counselors, have them go to the school counselor first. Cause that, that can be kind of a, you know, a low risk bridge cause they see that person around kind of thing. So that's, that's what I would say. Like, are your thoughts scaring yourself? Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been there and yes, I've had to answer yes to that question before. So that that's I'm the main too. thing for me. Yeah. Right. And, you know, carrying on the road trip analogy, it occurred to me as you were talking about some of those things, those are like the lights on the dashboard that let you know something's wrong, you know? I mean, obviously, divorce routinely involves 
feelings like guilt and fear, anxiety, anger, blame, shame, you know, depression. There's so many I could go on forever. <laughs> but the, the endless changes and challenges kind of sometimes just affect our ability to have perspective and right. to be able to see what's happening with some clarity. And that becomes dangerous then because then we start making decisions about our divorce that are going to have ramifications that we can't deal with, you know, for the years to come. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, definitely whether it's therapy or coaching, either way, you definitely want to, you know, pay attention. If you're seeing lights on the dashboard of your life that are saying you need to get something looked into some kind something needs addressed and some of those things you know whether it's you or your kids it could be all of the normal things that you feel during divorce guilt fear anxiety anger depression sadness or it could just be those things like magnified on you know 10 times what they were prior to you being right. in this season of your life uh, it just really is when when has life become unmanageable Right. And, and when a divorce is taking a year or two. Yeah. I mean, fatigue regarding all of these things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it really, truly, that's why I said what I said about, you know, I have a therapist and I still see her sometimes because I'm, right. I have zero shame about the fact that sometimes life is super hard and I just need somebody to help my perspective that can help me process this in a way that I know it, this is a person who has no skin in the game. They're not, you know, my, my boyfriend or my best friend or my, you know, parent or sibling or whatever, you know, you might lean to for advice. They are someone with expertise who works with this decision-making life skills you know, issue all the time and they are going to have some good ideas and just, they're going to have the right questions to ask me to make me think about it differently so that I can cope better. They went to school to do this. They probably have yeah. student loans that they took out <laughs> the privilege of doing this. Yeah, they're trained professionally and look, right. support systems are great. Build it and work on that during your divorce. But you know, when you're talking about your trial date, mm -hmm. the statements you make to other people are not hearsay. They are admissible. So yeah. you better trust all these people and know that they could also get subpoenaed to say what you said. <laughs> yeah, a therapist, absolutely. A therapist has a little armor about that. So mm -hmm. I had to throw that in. <laughs> Yeah, well, I appreciate that you did. And some of the things that you mentioned were cognitive distortions, speaking without thinking, those automatic negative thoughts, I call them ants. I didn't make that up. I think it was Dr. Daniel Amen that uses that, um, that acronym. But those kinds of things are true for you and your kids. But sometimes kids, I guess, just manifest things differently. And so sometimes they're dashboard lights look different than an adult right. you know right. like I, I the example I always think of is when things were really bad in my marriage my daughter had so many stomach aches oh yeah you know when I look back at that now I know what that was but at the time, I couldn't figure out why her stomach hurt all the time, you know, but they might have difficulty, you know, concentrating in school. Their grades may have dropped. You may be seeing them acting out, being aggressive. You may find out from a, a kid or a parent or a, or a school official that they're bullying. 
you you know there are all kinds of different ways that these needs psychologically come out in kids that don't they don't just come out and say i'm feeling depressed or i have resentment or you know i'm angry because they don't have the words or the ability to process that they just right. it's hard enough for us just to yeah, those things. yeah <laughs> exactly so you know there so there we could go on and on about you know the list of symptoms and you know what i'm calling dashboard lights but you if you have these things in your kids or in yourself you probably already know exactly what we're talking about it's something that's been nagging at you but what are some cautions uh Aaron, that you feel might be important for someone to consider with regard to therapy um, being used against them during their divorce. Now, I know we've talked about, you know, that really what's going to be used against them is their behavior. And that's true categorically across the board for anyone. Um, but what, anything else that we need to think about? I mean, not really. I'll just kind of restate that there are limited circumstances where a guardian ad litem could request your records and they would get them. That does not mean they're necessarily admissible in court. Also, don't you know, be genuine with your counselor. Don't say things like, I'm just here to look better. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, you know. You're not uh, going to get anything out of it if that's You know, if, if, if that's why you're going, just don't. Or, you know, yeah. sometimes counseling is court-ordered. And if that's the case, don't say dumb stuff like that to your counselor. Yeah. Get get out of it what you can and, and meet your obligations and move on. Um, but other yeah. than that, I, that's it. Well, and, you know, authenticity, we can talk about that all day. That's right. that is across the board, you know, the best way to go, no matter what you're facing. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that we're all messed up. Life yep. is hard. <laughs> On some level, we all have issues. And yep. the persons who can admit that and take the steps to heal those things and improve upon those things are actually looked upon very favorably, I would think. Certainly, I think life looks upon them favorably and things change for the better. But I think even with divorce, that would be the case. I agree. Definitely. And, you know, one thing that we haven't that we haven't already covered today, or is there anything, I guess I should say, that you can think of that we haven't already covered? No, I mean, I have not. And I just want to say, I have not had any cases that hinge solely on someone receiving um, or failing to receive mental health treatment. It is mm -hmm. relevant in many cases. Yeah. Um, I just want to bring home that it's your behavior at the end of the day. And are you doing what's best for your kids? Um, and are you trying to thwart the process or anything like that? So, um, and the good news is, you know, in my clients that have had therapy, you know, we'll go from the initial consultation where they're just a puddle of sadness and grief or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're, you know, months down the road, they've been going to counseling and they come in with their makeup and their hair done and they look great and they're speaking and, you know, they have become their articulate, assertive selves um, who can self-advocate and co-parent better. And that's just like one of my favorite parts of my job. Yeah, I bet. 
we want to see this kind of success and it can go either way. There's certainly going to be win-win-win situations for going to therapy and it going really well and it being, you know, the exact outcome that we are hoping for, for people when they get the help they need during their divorce. And I'm going to guess there's probably also some worst case scenarios that really centered around someone's decision uh, about therapy during their divorce. Um, can you think of any examples of either of those or just what is a good takeaway for us on that extreme thinking that we sometimes have about things, you know, when we're thinking about whether to go to a therapist or take our kids to a therapist, mm-hmm. um, you know, in most cases, it's not going to be this amazing turnout or this really horrible turnout. It's probably going to fall somewhere in the middle. What right. are your thoughts on that? The only example I can really think of is I had a case where I represented the husband and the wife clearly needed some counseling and was not receiving it. If she was in counseling, she also needed a psychiatrist. Um, And she would send these novels, like just strings and strings and strings of text messages to my client Uh after my client would ask her like a one sentence question. Yeah. Uh, it was like her stream of consciousness in electronic form. I mean, my client got sole legal custody because the judge commented that everyone has their limits. He should not be expected to co-parent with that every time there's one little thing to talk about with reference to their child. Yeah. So I've seen it when the lack of therapy affected someone's case. Oh, yeah. And in fact, I thought of that earlier when we were talking and, and then we went a different direction with the conversation. But I've, I work with a lot of women leaving toxic relationships. And I wish I could say that they always had great outcomes. But quite often, or too often, I guess I should say, um, they don't. And, and, off, and many times when they don't, uh, it's not just because he is manipulative or controlling. It's also because of how she's conducting herself. She's right. so trapped in fear brain, fight or flight, that she's sending, you know, six paragraph messages back. She's venting uh, about everything to him and quite obviously does not have the level of support that she needs. And, right. and you know, usually when I, when I come into the picture, it's like, damage control you know and what can we do now when already the guardian ad litem and the co-parenting counselor think that you're a bad parent when I know for a fact that you're not right but it's just it's a hard hard situation because you know they're they are their own worst enemy sometimes for sure. Um, and I think we need the, the goal really in talking about all of this is just to help the listeners to understand how to be wise when making decisions about this and how to conduct themselves during the divorce, how to not expect the worst. Um, and there's an old saying, if you expect the best, you very often get it. And I really try to focus people on that a lot, just helping them to reframe whatever it is that's happening today in your divorce in a positive way, either, you know, what you can do to, you know, continue to take your next best step or how that thing that seems like a bad thing might actually be a good thing. Just really trying to reframe experiences. And I think that is an important part of probably your job too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, selling my clients on it is, is part of is, is part of my job. And, you know, having a lot of what we've talked about today 
in my conversations with my clients, I would say that at the end of the day, therapy or counseling or even even medication management is mm-hmm. a form of self-care mm-hmm. and acknowledging and truly believing that you're worth that investment is healing in and of itself. Yeah. And, at, and at therapy, you'll learn how to deal with your ex in a divorce. Even after your divorce, mm-hmm. there can be some very positive unintended consequences of going to counseling. Like your next relationship might be healthier, more you'll learn about yourself. Um, and so that's the positive stuff that I, I try to bring up with my clients. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think we've covered a lot today. We're kind of coming to a close. Do you have any other thoughts that we haven't explored or, or what closing thoughts would you like to share? Not a lot, just, you know, nobody in this situation is alone. Um, I think that's proven by the fact that we're talking about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I mean, even in the cases where you're on good terms with your ex and you're coming to a settlement, um, I would, you know, and I'm not saying this out of self-interest, but hire an attorney just to look at your documents before you sign them mm-hmm. um, and make sure that you're not giving away the farm um, yes. and that everything is reasonable and accounting for everything that maybe you two haven't thought of. Um, and most attorneys will do that fairly inexpensively because it's limited scope. So yeah. I think it's, it's worth it just to have that peace of mind. That's a great uh, tip. I appreciate that. And listeners, I hope this has been so good for you to hear today. We do know this is hard stuff and there is so much here to consider. So if you have further questions for me or for Erin, I hope that you will take your next best step to reach out uh, to her or to your own therapist or to me. I'd be glad to make a personal connection to Erin for you. Uh, You can also visit the startingoverstronger.com website to see how coaching might help in your situation, whatever it is that you need to get answers and to make things happen for you and your family. I hope that you will do that. And as always, you can find out more about divorce coaching and what that is by emailing me at Annie at startingoverstronger.com. Thank you again for joining us each week as we explore life during and after divorce and how to make the most of it all. Remember, you're not alone, like Erin said, and you certainly don't have to be if you are. There are people and resources that are prepared and passionate about being a life preserver during your storm. So reach out and grab a hold of one. I'm happy to connect you with anyone on my divorce team. And as always, I hope that you'll be back next week as we explore more hope during your divorce and help as you are starting over stronger.